Welcome to the Brave Parenting Podcast, an examination of the Bible and how parents can apply God's Word to raising kids in a culture saturated with media and technology. Hello, everyone. Great to be back with you again. Chelsea and I are always honored that you would take your time to invest in knowledge and equipping for raising kids amidst what feels like an absolute crazy world of advancing technology. It is absolutely true. It is a complete work of love to bring you this content every week. I would say a work of joy, but sometimes, Cal, this content is just hard. Sometimes it's invigorating and other times it's just sad. Today, I think we're kind of entering into the sadness, but sad in the sense of it's just not supposed to be this way type of sadness. So today, as we've been promising, we are reviewing Common Sense Media's recent research into teenage smartphone and social media use. This information is what gets Chelsea and I kind of all riled up. It is the information like we've known and we've talked about here on the podcast, but now Common Sense Media has put the data behind it to essentially prove what we've been saying about the content-driven life. For sure. Now, for reference, you guys, Common Sense Media is an organization, but they're not Christian. They're secular. So you are going to find varying worldviews present on their site. But as a whole, the organization tends to lean a bit more conservatively in their app, game, and movie reviews. Um, It used to be that this content was unlimited, like the reviews, but now they're a subscription service and you're only allowed three free reviews a month. So it was a total bummer when that changed, but we kind of get why they had to change. They had to support their organization financially. But Common Sense has an arm of their organization that conducts independent research. Now, in the past, they've produced research about kids in privacy, teens in pornography, and even virtual reality. So we'll link all of these in the show notes for you guys if you'd like to do some research on their website. But the research that we're going to be covering today is called The Constant Companion. Now, Common Sense Media says this in their introduction on The Constant Companion. Smartphones have become a constant companion in our teens' lives, from connection with family and friends to entertainment and literal white noise. Young people rely on their smartphones for different types of support, relaxation, and distraction at home and at school and during the night. This new report fills a gap in understanding around how teens actually use their smartphones, combining data from the kids' own phones with feedback from our Youth Advisory Council. Teens told us that the draw of their smartphone is both complicated and powerful. Mm. So let's talk about the title real quick. Constant Companion. Let's break it down to what that means. A companion can be defined one of two ways. One, a person or animal with whom one spends a lot of time with or with whom one travels. Or the second definition can be one of a pair of things intended to complement or match each other. So right away, the title of Constant Companion makes me a little uncomfortable that a phone is being given these almost anthropomorphic or some kind of life-like qualities. Since when has material possessions been a companion? Right When I think of companionship, the images that come to mind are a husband and wife, maybe even like a boy and his dog, best friends, right? Those type of relationships. I would have never identified or defined a teen and their phone as a pair of things that complement each other. But 
I guess I suppose, we consider the fact that we have been using the language for quite some time regarding the relationship we have with our phone. Perhaps companionship is not too far of a jump, but nonetheless, let's consider what God has to say about companionship and relationship. We don't have to look any further than the beginning of creation, right? In Genesis 2, beginning in verse 18, we read, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the cattle and all the birds of the sky and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. All right. So here we see that God has solved the problem of loneliness and isolation. He created a suitable helper, a complementary human for Adam to spend his life with, to be in companionship with. He didn't take a rib from Adam and create a smartphone, right? No, he created another human. And when we look at the breadth of scripture, the only type of companionship that is seen is that between humans. So companionship is this life on life, face-to-face interactions that we talk about so much here on the Brave Parenting Podcast. Companionship happens in the, the context of community of people. I think this is why when we talk about relationships just being so foundational, life-giving, and necessary for flourishing, it is because God has deemed it so. This is how he created companionship to be. And anything that we do to try and redefine it is always going to fall tragically short of his standard. So what we want to do today is highlight the key findings in the survey and then unpack a few of them in order to more fully understand and apply wisdom in our parenting and then to recognize that the title of this report is not hyperbolic. It is more than just a good use of wordsmithing. But before we go into those key findings, let's talk about who exactly is involved in the research. So the study looked at the relationship between teenagers and their smartphones. They used 200 participants from the ages of 11 to 17, and they tracked their data for one week using a study app called Chronicle. Now, this app ran in the background of their devices, and it just provided continuous data for the researchers. And one of the goals of this study was to kind of like see the issue. And by the issue, they mean obviously the relationship between teens and technology. But they wanted to see this issue from the perspective of how smartphones shape the experiences of young people. All right, so real quick, off the bat, Chelsea, I want to add how I really appreciate the fact that they included 11 and 12-year-olds. We all know there are plenty of kids this age with smartphones and social media and games and all the stuff, but it seems so often that the research only reports on 13 and older because, you know, that is the, the legal age for them to use the app or I should say for the app to collect data on them. So the fact that these, you know, they call them young users are included in this research is extremely helpful. 
Yeah, I appreciated that very much as well. I kind of feel like the young users that they identify here in the study, they're like the elephant in the room. Like we all know we're there. They're there. That's right. But no one's saying anything about it. And finally, we have this report that says, OK, we're going to identify this elephant and just say, yeah, they're there. Let's figure out how technology is impacting them as well. But let's go over those key findings real quick. Okay, so the first one in the study was that phones are used during school hours, and that is nearly universal. The second key finding was notifications are plentiful with over half the participants receiving 237 or more a day. Key finding number three, TikTok is irresistible, offering bite-sized pleasure and low-friction interaction. Now, keep this key term in mind. It's low friction. We're going to come back to that several times throughout the podcast. Number four, over half of the teens use their smartphones overnight for either social media, for gaming, and for YouTube. And then number five, teens admit that they have challenges managing their technology use, but they're working on it. So Kelly, what do you think about all these key findings? Just the titles alone. What do you think? I just want to laugh. They know it. They're working on it. They know there's challenges, but they're working on it. <laughs> but aside from that, when we, when we consider what we mentioned, you know, at the beginning of the episode, we already knew all of this. So this isn't that shocking. Based on the people we talk to and we hear from teens, we hear from parents, I, this was the assumed reality that I knew. And I'm just glad that now I have numbers put to what I assumed was a reality. But I am especially concerned with this new norm of phone use during school hours. I've been on this bandwagon for years, and I would have hoped that there was a little bit of course correction. And it's, it's not. It's, I feel like it's getting worse. And you know, we discussed this back in August in our back to school episodes. Kids don't want to learn because they can be entertained instead. And this is, this is a big problem that I think we're all going to have to reckon with sooner or later is this power of entertainment. But it's like this. It's like, School is not teenage daycare, right? Kids are mandated to attend school, some sort of school, because as a society, we understand the immense value of education, right? In order to produce an orderly and productive society, you need an education, at least a basic amount. That's what we've, we've come to realize as a, an American society. I fear that this entertainment over education reality will just be so detrimental as the years go on. So that's, that's kind of my hot take right off the bat. Yeah. I mean, you know, I agree with you on this, but it, it's, it is becoming a really big problem within, within education. I absolutely agree. And I feel bad for the teachers. They're caught between a rock and a hard place right now. Okay. So yes, hot take, but let's get back to the podcast, what we're actually talking about. But Okay, so I mentioned on the onset of the podcast that one of the goals of this research was to understand how smartphones are shaping a young person's life. So the research first looked at the companies that produce the device. So what is it basically about these devices that keep us engaged? Well, the study noted certain features about our devices, and those features were the encouragement of content creation. Why do they encourage content creation? so that there's always more content to consume. So that awesome new camera that you just got on your phone, it is not about you uh, recording memories with your family. It's about content creation. One of the other uh, features is reduction of friction. Now, this is the easy swipe up feature that allows a user to move seamlessly from one video to the next video. 
This is what the key finding identified with TikTok, that it has low friction, meaning that there are virtually no barriers to accessing content in TikTok. Then there's time pressure. Now, these are the notifications that urge a user to watch a live stream before it ends. Then there's quantified reinforcers. These are obviously the the followers, the friends, the likes, you know, the numbers that keep us feeling loved and validated and worthy and connected to everyone else on social media. And then last but not least, the algorithmic recommendation, which we have talked about this numerous times on the show. Um, This is an AI computer learning model, and it decides what you see in your feed based on your likes and dislikes, maybe what you've liked before, what you've searched for even on Amazon earlier that day, and so on and so on. So essentially, these big companies, they are working hard because they know that we as the consumer, we love easy, right, Kelly? We love convenience. We love low friction, instant gratification, man. It is so pervasive in our society because of smartphones. Our brains, and I say our because like 96% of Americans have a smartphone. So, right, it's not just teens, you guys, it's adults as well. But our brains have been rewired to want or need something new and novel almost on a constant basis. And if we're really honest, we can see how this is even infecting the church. Many adults cannot sit through a Sunday sermon without checking their phone. And even in our personal spiritual lives, we get impatient with God's patience for us because we want our answers right now. We want our sanctification right now. We want our miracle right now. It's like we want to um, Amazon Prime our sanctification because we've been conditioned by the designs of these smartphones and these apps to think that maybe we deserve it too, right? Like that's the other thing is like this entitlement culture, but that's maybe a whole other podcast on its own. But these companies, they know that. And they know that we have been conditioned to believe that we should have easy access to whatever is on our phone. They know their design features have ensnared millions of young people and they don't care. They don't care. They don't care. And that's why we have to care. As you said, these phone features, these app features, they keep us engaged to our detriment. I just want to emphasize, it isn't us problem. The research was done on teenagers here. Because we know the importance of the teen years and the development um, and how the shaping of who they are and who they will become, it's so important during those teen years. But this is an us problem. It is all too easy for us as adults and parents to fall into this sort of plank and speck analogy that Jesus uses on his Sermon on the Mount. When we see the speck in our teenager's eye, but we ignore the plank in our own eye, that's blinding us from the truth. And so I think it's important to just kind of acknowledge before we get into all of this, why does this happen? Why do we so easily just judge the teenagers when you can easily look around and see adults engaged in the same exact type of behavior? Well, I think especially for parents, it's painful to witness our child having a constant companion in their smartphone. We know it isn't healthy for them, even if, even if we have a constant companion in our own phones. But we, right, we know that their development is so important. And so we just judge. We judge and we react harshly. But Jesus instructed us to examine ourselves first in this passage um, in Matthew 6 on the Sermon on the Mount. Look at your own device weaknesses and make adjustments. That's what Jesus means by taking you know, the log out of your own eye first. And friends, I just, I can't stress how important this is because 
The design features that you just talked about, those are not neutral. It requires active discernment to overcome them. And this should be the example we are setting before our kids. We can't be so disturbed that our kids' constant companion is their smartphone if or when it is just as much our constant companion, right? Okay, so now let's unpack some of this data revealed in this study. The first key takeaway was the nearly universal phone use during the school day. Now, common sense defined the hours for school as 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. And 97% of the participants use their phone during this time frame for a median of 43 minutes. But the range of time from all 200 participants went from less than one minute during the school hours to six and a half hours, six and a half hours of the seven. There was only seven hours allotted in the research. Now, the median number of pickups, like pick you picking up the phone to engage with it, was 13. But its range was from one pickup to 229 pickups. And the app categories that took up the most time in school was social media at 32%, YouTube, 26%, and gaming, 17%. Now, I'm not naive to think that high schoolers aren't going to look at their phones for an entire day at school, right? We know that they will. A major part of this issue, and I'm pleased that this report recognized this, is that the schools themselves don't have concrete policies in effect. Many schools will give the teacher the individual choice whether or not they will allow it in their classroom or not. Well, to that end, when you have 30 students and one teacher, how well do you think the teacher who says no phones is going to be respected and obeyed when the teacher in the last class period says yes to phones, right? It, it is impractical to think that one teacher can monitor and control the phone usage of 30 students and still teach them what needs to be taught in the like little 50 minute window that they have. That's just so impractical. They can't possibly. No, they can't. It's, it, it is absolutely impractical. I love that you brought that up. And can, can we be 229 times they pick up a phone? I, I wish I picked up a weight 229 times, man, I would be. I sometimes wonder if it just stays in their hand and that's just how many times the screen comes on. Like, cause that's a lot. That's a lot in a seven hour period. Okay, so then the best solution that we can hope for is that parents, the number one solution is that parents will enable time limit controls so that teens cannot access their smartphones for the socials or for gaming or for YouTube when they absolutely should be learning. We cannot neglect that the focus on this is education and that education is being lost when they are constantly distracted by their digital companion. And then, of course, there is a second solution we can offer. And that is that schools take a very clear, a very comprehensive, and a very consistent stance on smartphones in the classroom. There are high schools across the country that have actually banned them. They are requiring that these phones are locked up from the minute that they walk into the school. And you know what's super interesting is, yes, the students kind of balked and they complained at it at the beginning, but now they've adjusted to it. And they actually report that they like it better this way. Y'all, conversation has returned to cafeterias in some high schools across the country. So parents, 
you need to put the pressure on schools and on these school boards to take a firm stance. Go to your school board meetings and start a petition. There are a lot of things that a group of very passionate parents can make happen when it comes to public schools. And I promise you, the teachers are going to thank you. They need people behind them helping them in this area because they need help right now. It's true. And this is, I would say, primarily a public school. I'm sure there are some private schools who maybe allow this. But generally speaking, because private schools, the nature of them, they do tend to have a hard and fast restriction on phones, um, especially during middle school. Some, I think, may allow some in high school. But for the most part, they have a pretty hard and fast. It is the public schools that you really need to get involved with to get them um, to take a firm stance. Okay, key finding number two, notifications are plentiful with half of the study participants receiving 237 or more per day. Now, the subtext of this key finding states that these interruptions are both delightful and distracting. That terminology, delightful and distracting. Now, let's remember that a notification is how the phone or device attempts to engage the user. This isn't a phone pickup where the user intentionally engages the phone. And this is a feature that we often don't consider, that the phone beckons our attention and our companion tugs on our arm like like your toddler did when, when he wanted your attention. And with this in mind, let us look at the number of times our little companion begged for our attention. I stated in the key findings that the median number received was 237. However, the range went all the way up to 4,500 notifications. 4,500 notifications in one day. Granted, not all of these notifications are engaged with or even seen, but it is evidence of the insanity that is possible on these phones. Now, regarding the apps that sent the most notifications, the study found that Snapchat and Discord were ranked highest. The problem is always Snapchat, Kelly. When in doubt, Snapchat. This is one of the worst apps out there. I cannot stand it. It just has no good to me, but that's maybe just me. I don't know. So, okay, folks, what is the solution here? Well, we always want to start with ourselves first, right? So go through your own phone and turn off notifications that are just not necessary. There are always a few that we don't need, but yet somehow we just continue to allow simply because we just don't take the time to turn them off. Then we would suggest that parents teach their kids from the very start, the very start, how to manage notifications. Teach them how to use the focus features on your phone. I love my focus features. They are so helpful for me. And some kids, sadly, they may love those notifications at first because it makes them feel needed and wanted and important. But you know what? Talk about what that talk about that with your kids because we felt that too. Kelly and I would not be sitting here today if we at one point in time didn't have didn't feel that and realize, hey, maybe we put our worth and our value in something else and it wasn't in Christ. We know that we can teach them from the start the power and the control a phone can have over our hearts. And we can encourage them not to view their phone as that constant companion who needs them but as a tool that we use wisely. I like what you said there, as a constant companion who needs them. I wonder subconsciously if 
kids or adults think my phone needs me. Like it needs me right now to respond. That's just an interesting thought. All right, key finding number three, TikTok is irresistible, offering bite-sized pleasure and low friction interactions. Ah, TikTok, see, I would argue that TikTok might always be the problem. I think there was a point in time I would have always said Snapchat, but I don't know. I think in the past year, I don't think there's been an episode where we haven't mentioned TikTok at least once. It's just a beast of a social platform. And if you need to refresh your memory, episodes 88, episode 90, and episode 92 cover TikTok and all of its nuances. You can go back into the podcast archive and listen to those, and we'll also link them in the show notes. Now, the subtext of this key finding that TikTok is irresistible reads, TikTok was one of the most popular and longest duration apps used in our sample of 11 to 17-year-olds. TikTok was used by 50% of the participants. Okay, that number sounds so promising to me. I actually was delighted with that. I thought 50%. Well, what about the other 50%? The other 50 is either not allowed to have it, win, or they've chosen not to download it. Double win. That's 50%. That sounds great, right? Now, the median time TikTok was used is one hour and 52 minutes. So almost two hours a day which is a lot. However, TikTok users were more likely to spend several hours per day using it, upwards of seven hours. Seven hours in one day. And, and even worse, this time includes not only school hours, but also the overnight. So as parents, this is a number we just can't ignore. TikTok is powerful at keeping our children's attention. And as Christians, It is important to know that TikTok's power can be used to change a young person's entire worldview. The algorithm is too good at identifying mood and interest and suggesting content that that a child can just get siloed into uh, bad ideologies. And without the critical thinking skills and the maturity to process that much content, this, this is how young lives are wrecked. This is how isolation happens, how uh, mental health suffers. Now, with that said, I want to take note of what they said in their key finding title. They called it bite-sized pleasure. Well, what they mean is that TikTok is the app that teens open when they only have a few minutes to burn because they know they can get small doses of pleasure in that time. And this is not surprising, but it should sadden us. Because think about, think about how many times in your day, and even more so right in your child's day, when you can justify having a few minutes to burn and getting on TikTok for a quick hit. Oh my gosh, Kelly. That was like, that was illegal drug language right there. But that, that's like when you read it, they're like they're getting these bite-sized pleasures and quick hits. I'm like, this is, yeah, you're right. This is drug language. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, that's total drug drug language. I, I'm just kind of like my mind's like blown right now, though, that that language is being used for a social media platform. Right. But I can I think about it like if I if I wasted every extra few minutes that I had in my day on TikTok, I absolutely would end my day feeling frazzled and overwhelmed. Those extra few minutes of empty time are really crucial for allowing the brain to rest and reset. 
It is that contemplative time. It's a space for reflection. It's time to review what you've learned, maybe what the rest of your day looks like, what you're going to say to that friend who needs your advice. It can be a time to pray, maybe a time of worship and gratitude. But somewhere along this smartphone journey, people have absolutely forgotten how important those extra minutes are for just basic human flourishing. Instead of having our brain engaged with this constant content, it needs time to process and rest. A few weeks ago, we actually talked about people being busy, productive, and fruitful. It was a great podcast. I've had a lot of great feedback from it. So if you haven't had a chance to listen, go check us out. Um, We'll link it in the show notes. But when all of those few minutes are just being saturated with entertainment, a person will feel extremely busy because every last minute is eaten up. So then what's our solution for this key finding? Well, I would argue that we have to add some friction to TikTok because it is so effortless. It is so rewarding. So we have to add friction, add difficulty and boundaries to TikTok that can be the friction that's needed so that the app, it doesn't end up functioning just like a drug in your child's life. So what kind of friction could you add? Well, for starters, if they don't have the app, restrict it. Restrict it until maybe they're 17 instead of 16. Give them as much time to mature as possible before you allow the app. Not being able to download the app is just, it's tremendously effective friction. Now, if your child already has TikTok, I would argue the best friction would be to instill time limits on the app. If the teenager knows that they only have, let's say, like 15 minutes per day, they might actually be less likely to waste their time on the app when they know that they only have a few minutes. Another option for creating friction would be to have TikTok on your phone. And then you allow your child to engage with the app in a public space of the family home. And of course, teens are not going to like this option at all, but it's really an excellent point of friction. So if the child is so intent on staying relevant with what's on TikTok, I think this is a healthy compromise. Yeah, you have to kind of get creative. You know your child and every child is going to be different. But for some families, that can absolutely work. And I think that that's a good idea. Now, key finding number four, over half of teens use their phones overnight on school nights. Now, for the study, they defined overnight as midnight to 5 a.m. So just a five-hour window. 59% of the participants use their phone during this time period with a median of around 20 minutes per night. The range Y'all, and y'all, if you're listening, you know, the range is always the crazy part. The range was from less than one minute to five hours, which is that maximum time that they considered overnight, five hours. So I have to kind of rationally think, okay, this is probably the kids who racked up these five hours overnight because they kept their phones running all night long, whether that be, you know, on a call or FaceTime or music, or they were streaming TV, they were doing something that just kept the phone on all night. Now, this study also reports that 67 of the participants had phone pickups throughout the night. Again, we have to circle back to the many times that we've talked about the benefits of sleep to prevent anxiety and depression. Interrupted sleep is not healthy for teens. If they cannot sleep undistracted now, how are they going to get through life? And I say this because sleep is a huge problem for so many adults. And I'm telling you that 
the ability to sleep well doesn't miraculously get better, right? In adulthood, we know this. So if you're already having difficulties as a teenager because of the distractions that your little constant companion right there on your pillow <laughs> causes you, that is not going to change when you become adult. So as parents, I'm just going to say, like, we are setting our kids up for failure when we allow the phones to remain in the bedroom with them at night. I think I read in the study that one of the other things that they're running constantly in the background is a white noise. I guess YouTube provides white noise, very popular right now, to kind of sound block. And that's why it's running in the background all night for five hours. Yeah, that makes sense. So using the language from before, the greatest method of friction would be to take the phone up at night. This is honestly the easiest thing for you to do. It takes minimal effort on your part. And honestly, you just kind of have to remember to do it. And hands down, this is absolutely the easiest solution Kelly and I can provide for you. However, it is not included in any of the common sense recommendations for helping young people have a better relationship with their phones. Instead, they actually provide some contradicting advice. So for instance, the data confirms, right, that sleep is being disrupted by intrusive notifications. But yet, the study also claims, and I quote, smartphones are integrated into young people's lives in ways that help them connect with friends, give their brain a rest, or help them laugh and calm down during their busy days. Did you hear that contradiction? Give their brain a rest. Are you kidding me? No one is getting rest if they are checking their phone in the middle of the night. Not one. It's not happening. This is a fact that we have been sharing for years. Parents, think about when you had babies, when you had infants. Were you getting rest if you were being woken up every two hours for a feeding? No, no one's getting rest. And this is the same for our kids. Now, one last note on this key finding specifically is that the apps that were being used most during the overnight time was YouTube at 47%, social media at 39%, gaming at 20%, 29%, excuse me, and then reading at 18%. Is it, is it kind of pathetic that I actually got excited that reading, reading, it made the list of overnight distractions? I mean, yes, kids and teens, they need their sleep, but they also need to read more. So I don't know, I might suggest like, Another solution could be like giving them like a hard copy of a book. Don't give them a Kindle, you know, let them learn spatial awareness within a book. But that would be excellent to read instead of looking at your phone before you go to bed at night. I still read before I go to bed. I've been doing it since I was in fourth grade. It's funny you say that because when I read that piece of data, I thought, wow, that reading, that just feels completely out of context, out of all of these sort of entertainment distractions. And granted, reading can be a source of entertainment, uh, but it did seem like, oh, Wow, kids are still reading? <laughs> That's fantastic. All right, so that brings us to key finding number five that we want to dive into. And that is that teens admit they have challenges managing their technology use, but they're working on it. The study reports that they also interviewed the participants in order to inquire about their difficulties managing their tech use. Over two-thirds of them said that sometimes or often they find it difficult to stop using their devices. Interestingly, 30% of the participants said they used their phones to escape from sorrow or negative feelings. But we already know this can create a negative feedback loop where you use the phone to escape bad feelings only to be made to feel bad all over again by something that you saw on the phone. So then the best application to this key finding is that parents admit that they have challenges as well. And if they haven't admitted it, then 
nonetheless, we all know it in our hearts. We know that we have a problem with our phones as well. This is truly where parents and kids can work together. We believe that kids and parents can work together in this. And it takes transparency on the part of the parent. And it really is an excellent way to show your kid that this isn't just a teen problem. I think we've talked about this multiple times and we've said invite them into your repentance. Have them walk alongside you in repentance, trying to do it differently. And yes, although the problem gets exacerbated quickly in teens because guys, they just, you know, they have some emotional immaturity and they lack those critical thinking skills and the life experience. It is still something so beautiful when parents and kids can work together trying to reconcile how it is to use these phones as a utility. So even before your child has their own smartphone, you can absolutely show them how you turn off notifications to limit distractions or how you put your phone into downtime or into sleep mode. Those are all really great ways to role model healthy smartphone behavior. I think a lot of families and teachers and employers, et cetera, they all feel like, ah, these kids, they're just going to figure it out eventually, right? They'll get there. But the reality is we cannot know that they will get there. This is an unprecedented experiment and no one knows the results of it. So yeah, maybe, maybe some kids will figure it out and they'll kind of manage and, and flourish in a way, right? But, but maybe they won't. Maybe they'll be crippled in adulthood, unable to make and keep deep and meaningful friendships because of this constant companion. What if they can't keep a job because they can't focus and complete tasks because they're just so bombarded with delightful distractions? My point is that we just don't know. It's a huge gamble. It is a huge risk that we are all taking. But what we do know right now is that there are a lot of red flags out there, not just in the results of the research or maybe the other research that we reviewed here on the Brave Parenting Podcast, but there are red flags all over society. There is a loneliness epidemic. There are millennials that are not having children. There is a Gen Z mental health crisis. There is division and divisiveness. And it's just like this list keeps growing and growing and growing. And yet we continue to hand over these platforms without taking any consideration to the red flags that we all see and know, especially the ones we have in our own heart too. That's right. It all happens in the heart. We've talked, this is, this is the content-driven life. It intersects at the heart level. And um, I want to go to First Peter chapter 2. I believe we've discussed this before, but it's just so relevant. Peter, just some context, is writing to encourage the believers who are just undergoing intense persecution. It's hard to be a Christian in that time and place. And he just reminds them of the privileges that they have in Christ. And so I'm going to start there in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And then verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. So Peter's saying, you know, as citizens of heaven, that's what we are. We're not of this world because we were, you know, brought out of the world in Christ, out of darkness, into the light. Well, as citizens of heaven, he says, I urge you to abstain from fleshly lusts. Why? 
Why do this? Because they rage war on your soul. Well, think about that word war. You know, we talked about that last week. Wars are deadly. Wars are tragic. No one should ever settle for a war in your soul. So if we don't want war, we need to abstain from fleshly lusts or another way of describing that is sinful desires. Well, what, what exactly are those? Well, scripture defines them for us in Galatians 5, 19, 19 through 22. It says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Now, I want to ask you, how many of those fleshly lusts occur in abundance on the smartphone? I mean, I mean, our constant companion. How many of them occur in abundance in our constant companion? Because if our constant companion promotes, pushes, and perpetuates the indulgence in these type of lusts, hatred, yes, all the time, discord, yes, jealousy, yes, selfish ambition, yes. Well, we are inviting a war into our soul all 200 times we pick up our phone or all 237 times a notification draws us in to engagement. Biblically, I would argue the smartphone and all of its functionalities and apps, when they're used in this way, they're not a constant companion. It's a soul-destroying idol. It's an idol. It is detestable to God because it doesn't bring about holiness. It just brings about sinfulness. And God cares so much about our souls. He sent his son to die for them, to save them, right? So consider Mark 8, 36 and 37. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Well, what does it profit a young person to gain the whole world of information, entertainment, accolades, and approvals if they forfeit their soul through the fleshly lusts that wage war against it? And then Mark also asks, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? That's what Jesus is saying. Tragically, I think today, the obsession with online connection, entertainment, it would gladly be exchanged for one soul. This is because the design of the phones and the apps are such that they ensnare us into the ephemeral, into the here and now, these transient moments of pleasure. And all the thoughts and hopes of eternal life outside this world, outside their phone, it's lost. It's disregarded. It's forgotten. And this is human nature, sadly. And Jesus himself was crucified for the entertainment of the Romans, right? There are so many examples throughout history where humans trade their souls for entertainment. And I have to ask, why are, why are young people in a mental health crisis? Because there is a war raging in their souls. And that's, that's not good news. <laughs> we know that, right? But we have the good news that can rescue them from the war. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the answer. It has always been the answer to every problem of mankind. And it remains the answer today, even if common sense media is not recognizing that. You know, we know that as parents, we can only do so much. Alone, we cannot solve all these problems, but there is freedom and eternal hope found in the gospel, not on the smartphone, not on TikTok. If we're honest, if we're truthful, we do need a constant companion in this life. And God graciously gives himself as a constant companion in the gift of the Holy Spirit when we repent of our sins and believe that Jesus is our Savior. 
we have that constant companion. Our constant companion is none other than God himself, right? Hallelujah. Amen. That, I mean, that says it all right there, Kelly. And I was just thinking as you read through that Galatians 5 discord, that is a that is an actual site. That is a social media platform. And they are proud that that is their name. I'm just, I'm kind of wrestling with that right now in my mind. But at the end of the day, you guys, we are, we are thankful for the research of Common Sense Media because it really does shine a light into an area of darkness in our culture. And while the data is very revealing and helpful, we really have to acknowledge that their course of correction, their recommendations, they're just not biblical. Some could absolutely be applied to provide some minimal benefits, but at the end of the day, change will occur in the context of the family of faith. It begins in our hearts. It has to begin in the church because we are the ones equipped with the Holy Spirit. As Christians, we are called to live differently, and that means engaging with our smartphones differently at every single age of life. It is not just teens, but it is adults of all ages as well. So on that note, please do not forget to check out Aro. We absolutely love this resource, you guys. So visit goaro.com. This, you guys, this is how you can detach yourself from this constant companion that rages war on your soul. So you get a box, it's your phone box, it's your RO box, and you put your phone in that box and then you just get to connect with others in real life. Now you ask, why? Why would I put my phone in a box? Why not just keep it in my pocket or in my closet or in a drawer or something like that? Well, this study, it should have shown you why that why we can't do that, why we can't just keep it in our pocket. We do not have the self-control to not look at it. And the RO box knows, it knows when your phone goes in there and it begins a session. It invites everyone else in the home who's participating in RO to also start a session. This is beautiful. It is this wonderful way that you can kind of like play a game with your family. And it's the game of spending more time together. So everyone's constant companion, everyone's soul destroyers, they're set aside. And that is beautiful. It is so amazing. So. Get this for your family, for your friends, even your parents. You guys, Christmas is upon us. Bless another family with this gift. If you're a grandparent listening, bless your children and their families with this gift. We play games. We play board games as a family, right? RO is a kind of game that you play with your family. And it's a game of staying off your phone. So visit goro.com forward slash brave and then use the promo code brave. And we can give you guys a, um, a free first month subscription. It is amazing. I love it. My family loves it. We use it all the time. You guys, I get my husband every single day after work because he comes home and he puts his phone in the box. And that is blessings upon blessings for our family. I love it. That's the tangible solution that that's the best one we can offer you today. I mean, there's a lot of work that you can do in conversation and change and habits and all that. This is this is a practical, like you get it, you do it. It's just, it, it could be really that easy. So we love it. Um, Thank you so much, friends, for listening. We pray that you are blessed this holiday season with true friendship and companionship. And we pray that this analysis of this research has helped you maybe see it in a new light. We love you all so much. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting us. Until next week, go and be brave.